Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Federalist Files. On today's show, we're going to be going over what is in, specifically, what is in the infrastructure bill, uh, the U.S. government's attack on crypto, unemployment numbers have been dropping, we're seeing higher uh, job numbers, which is good, and finally, the ACLU claims the Second Amendment is racist. what's happening and i don't think the country's going to stand for it much longer that they're, they're disgusted you have a fake election you have an election with uh, voter abuse and and with uh, voter fraud like nobody's ever seen before and based on that and based on what happened uh, they're destroying our country whether it's at the border whether it's on crime i could say in plenty of instances including military you look at the leaders of military the woke the woke leaders of military, we have to focus on our great military for what it's supposed to be, to protect us against very powerful countries like Russia and China and others who don't exactly love us. Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I have a actually not really that crazy of a news cycle this this past weekend, so I'm kind of looking forward to when we're going to be changing the composition of the show, or rather the composition of uh, the schedule of the show, we're going to start doing is Wednesday nights, we're going to come out with a current events episode in the middle of the week, and then on a Saturday going into Sunday is when the uh, weekend special, that's when that will air. So we're going to change that up after we're done with the Federalist Papers. It's going to be better for the composition of the show. I'm going to have more to report. I'm kind of missing the very beginning of the week news cycle when I report this early. There's always like a day right after I'll come out with a podcast and all the news will come out. So I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, we have a couple things. I wanted to specifically kind of nail this infrastructure bill today. It's going to be pretty deep. They go into a little bit of cryptocurrency. It's a 2,700-page bill. I haven't really gone that deep into it, but specifically... I've been reading more and more about it. It seems like a giant Green New Deal, as Trump just said before. Uh, now, Trump, this is actually was really funny. That clip that you just heard of Trump, he was on Unfiltered with Dan Bongino on Fox News. Fox News went ahead and they, they posted it without the part where he was talking about the elections and the election fraud. Uh, I don't know if it's because they're worried about getting sued by Dominion or if they're trying to keep up some sort of a perception as middle left leaning, uh, that's that's what they really are as a news outlet. But we're gonna get to this. Uh, the rest, I'm I'm wondering actually if Dan Bongino is gonna talk about that. Maybe he he may have already in his podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, it's very interesting that they decided to take that part out specifically. But yes, the infrastructure bill. I have this article. It's from CNET. It's written by Clifford Kobe and uh, Laura Michelle Davis. It's titled, what it, What's in the Senate Infrastructure Bill? So we're going to go over the infrastructure bill, and then we're also going to go over the budget. And the budget's insane. It's pretty much a spending package. It is a socialist's wet dream, essentially. So in this Senate Infrastructure Bill, if approved, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, that's the name of the bill, would authorize $550 billion in new federal spending over five years, according to Biden. Projects funded by the bill would add around 2 million jobs per year over the course of the decade. So that's directly from Joe Biden's mouth. Now, here's a breakdown. We got public transit, airports, and rail, including money for mass uh, transit, passenger and freight rail, airports, and ports and waterways. So these are all things, just remember, when you keep all of this in mind, in terms of road, I would say things like public transit, that's not something that's really going to add jobs. It's going to be a net loser because it's just going to be another tax expense. The one thing that I can actually kind of get on board with is roads and bridges with funding to either repair or rebuild roads and bridges, including for cyclists and pedestrians. See, now I think that's a way, I think the cyclist thing, the cyclist lane, I'm sure many of you other folks feel the same way, is ridiculous. You should, if, if you really need to ride, ride around in the suburban areas. I mean, there's no reason for a cyclist to be on the main roads and get their own lane. It's just stupid. Um, pedestrian crosswalks, obviously necessary. Uh, electric vehicles, 
including money to construct a network of electrical electric vehicle chargers and electrify school and transit buses. So this is what my this is what my problem is with all this stuff that comes out. How is it that this is going to be paid for? This is an infrastructure bill that is 1.2 trillion dollars. Only half of the bill, actually a little bit less than half the bill goes to what they would call and consider infrastructure. I think that providing electrical vehicles chargers is not infrastructure. You can let Tesla do that themselves. They've been doing it, and they've been pretty successful. I mean, around my house, I know of like two or three different charging station uh, places that you could go to, right? So you don't need the federal government to mainline something like this. You also don't need the federal government to have electric school buses and transit buses. There's no reason for that. So water, sewer, power systems, and environmental remediation, including funding to replace the nation's lead pipe service lines and improve its power grid. So once again, these are all things you would think that the water company would, that you would outsource this job to the water company uh, in the private industry to do this on a localized level. Instead, what they're doing is they're doing a federal overhaul of the system. Why is this? There's probably lobbyists now that are paying politicians off in order to get the contract to be the ones that are going to be replacing all these lead pipe service lines. Or they're going to federalize the jobs, which is just more taxation on the people. These these things can all be done through the private industry. The private industry thinks, for example, the private industry thinks that they have a legitimate customer base in an area, they will openly want to change things themselves or they'll give you a better deal on it so then they can go forward and they can bring water to each individual house. Or, for example, Verizon, if you want broadband around your neighborhood, Verizon will build the infrastructure around it because they know they're going to have big-time customers that are willing to pay for Verizon. Uh, You don't need to do all this and mainline it through the federal government. Especially if you're going to do something like this, really what you should do is you should do it through the state government or the localized municipality. There's no reason to provide this all through the federal government other than a huge payoff for lobbyists and giving, you know, these sweet contract deals to whether it's family members or whether it's a connected few individuals in the oligarchy. Uh, So broadband is the other one which I just mentioned, the deal includes $65 billion to improve the country's broadband system. The plan originally proposed $100 billion to provide accessibility, uh, high-speed internet service. So yes, uh, these things, uh, that is what they call infrastructure. Now, public transit, all that stuff to me really is an infrastructure. I think that's like a giant joke. I think the only thing I would ever be on board for here from what I'm seeing is roads and bridges, but I'm not on board for cyclists. I can't see anything else here that I'm really that on board for the federal government mainlining because I understand that there's some inter, as they would call them, um, interstate highway systems when it goes from one state to another. That would make sense that that's of the federal jurisdiction more than it would be of uh, independent states because you'll have, for example, Route 1 goes the entire east coast it starts off like in maine at the very top the tip of maine it actually goes into canada i'm pretty sure and it goes all the way down to key west florida uh, just one road so it would make sense that the federal government would kind of have some sort of jurisdiction in that area so to go over now i mean these things are all giant obviously everything is pretty much a waste of money it's very interesting to me that this 1.2 trillion dollar bill uh, for infrastructure, as they call it, is is 2,700 pages. It's absurd. It's just an omnibus package that they're loading up with other Democrat wish list items as well, including some of this weird crypto stuff, which I'll, I'll get to. So you got $3.5 trillion in the budget, budget resolution. Mostly in this article I have, they, they talk about Chuck Schumer talking about it a little bit. But just to give you kind of a rundown of what's going on in this uh in this bill so you got provided funding for families and education they want to fund universal preschool with a new child care benefit for families make community college tuition free for two years extend this year's child tax credit and earned income tax credit beyond 2020 and create a federal paid family and medical leave program i mean this is like the definition of what socialism is the government to begin with doesn't feel like they get enough time with your child from 
five years old up until they get to college, really, up until they're 18 in 12th grade. I mean, if you do the math on that, what is that? It's like 12 years with your kid isn't enough. The government hasn't brainwashed your kid for those 12 years enough that they need to also fund a universal uh, preschool system. And just letting you folks know, this is going to be extremely expensive. It's just, it's the same. It's just another tax burden that you're going to have to pay. You're better off uh, privatizing this industry there. It's just a better job. I mean, the private school system in terms of uh, preschool's always been found to be pretty solid. I don't know many parents that sit there and complain about how bad preschool is. But this is just another thing to make you more reliant on the government. So the new child care benefit and yeah, we're gonna make we're gonna make community college uh free for the first tuition free for two years. Yeah, community college should take you two years. That that's considered a junior college. You get two years of basic knowledge, and then you go to another. You go to university, or you go to a college, or what have you, and you finish up your bachelor's. Um, they want to extend these child tax credits. They just want to keep handing money out to people. They want to incentivize people to stay home. They want to incentivize people not to work harder. And this idea of a federal paid family and medical leave program is the definition of they don't want you to work. Uh, so climate stuff as well in this next budget, three point five trillion. Working to meet Biden's goal for the U.S. to get 80% of its power from emissions-free sources by 2030, the reconciliation package would fund a collection of clean energy initiatives, including rebates for individuals and families for home electrification and weatherization. This is an unrealistic plan. We do not have the power in clean energy. We, we legitimately do not have the power because the amount of power that's yielded from clean energy is nowhere near its its decimal to oil, natural gas, and coal, uh, those industries. So that being that being said, he wants to get eighty percent of the power. He wants to over overhaul the entire system. Eighty percent of the power by twenty thirty. He wants this clean or emissions free. That's only, I mean, that's nine years from now. It's not It's not happening. By that time, Biden won't be alive anymore. He'll probably be dead, if I had to guess. Uh, his Brett War, he'll just be, he'll be a legitimate vegetable because he's kind of on his way there now. And, and that's not me being crass. That's just me being honest. These rebates for, for individuals and family homes with, with electrification and weatherization, this is all going to be hit through taxes. So you're just going to pay crazy tax rates. I mean, you're looking at if, if all of these things get passed through and they continue to progress as, as the progressives call themselves progressives, you're going to look at a tax rate that's going to be 60% through the federal government. You're going to be paying tax rates like some of these uh, Swedish, Norway, some of these countries where they have the free health care, they have all of these social programs, but they pay 60% in taxes. I'd much rather pay a lower percentage in taxes and privatize most of these industries. Uh, infrastructure. As a follow-on for the infrastructure bill making its way through Congress, the Budget Reconciliation Program, uh, or package rather, would fund public housing, green and sustainable housing, rehabilitate aging veterans administration buildings and hospitals and fund workforce development and job training programs okay so infrastructure training programs for jobs and workforce de development are not infrastructure um public housing also is not infrastructure that's just just a socialist program you want to house everybody no one no one should be homeless no one should not have a home is is what the what the liberals say so really, if you're somebody that doesn't want to work, right, and you want to go on this family uh, paid federal leave, like they're talking about in this bill, how is it that you're still able to live in a house? Oh, because we're, we're going to have this public housing. We're going to have pretty much free housing for you. We're going to have very low subsidized housing. Who's subsidizing the housing? It's everybody else that's working in the industry. In a socialist program, if you're somebody that works very hard and you find this, People that come from uh, socialist countries, they actually perform better in the United States than they do in their homeland because in their homeland, there's no incentive to work harder. There's no incentive to make more money because the government is in your pocket taking your money and giving it to somebody else. And there's numbers with, I think it's, I, I always get them mixed up, whether it's Denmark, Sweden, or Norway. There's numbers that citizens that come from that country and come to work in the United States, they do much better. They're much more prosperous because the government is legitimately holding them back in their home country, uh, just like they are here currently as well. So, health care. 
The package would expand federal health care benefits by adding dental vision and hearing benefits to the Medicare program, funding in-home and community-based services to help seniors, persons with disabilities, and home care workers, and work to reduce prescription drug costs. So yes, what they want to do is they want to subsidize prescription drug costs. This is a giant government. The government wants to pay off the drug industry and say, hey, just lower your prices. We're just going to pay you off. That's all that is. Instead of having multiple drug industries having a very um, not as heavily regulated prescription drug industry, and then you would have multiple companies that would that would fight for contracts, and you'd be able to lower the price naturally that way, and they'd become much more efficient. Instead, what the government's going to do is they're just going to give payouts to whoever the biggest bidder is. Really, that, that's all that's going to happen with that. And what they really want to do is this federal health care, Medicare program, as they call it, they want to federalize, everyone knows this, Obamacare. They really want to have Obamacare, but then they also additionally they want to federalize dental vision and hearing. And if you actually think about it in your uh, paycheck, how much you pay towards those that pay for dental and vision programs, it is so minimal uh, compared to whatever your medical care is. And I think part of the reason for that is there's less regulation in those markets, whereas with the current healthcare market there's so much regulation if you consider dental and vision on the side of that where there's less regulation a paycheck you'll pay i mean i have everything me personally i have everything covered like you know i get anything done on my mouth i have, I have a screwed up my my mouth's all messed up my teeth are all screwed up so whenever i get any work done i pay like zero that's my copay every single time because i have a really solid health care program or rather a, a solid dental plan I only pay $19 a paycheck. I get paid bi-weekly and everything's covered all the time whenever I show up. Thank God. Um, but to go on here, when will these two bills become law? Right now it's unclear uh, either which bill, if if either one of them will pass. Well, the Senate intends to vote on its infrastructure bill this week. So so right now I'm kind of pre-recording this like you know one day earlier, one night earlier, just because for the sake of time, I have a lot of crazy stuff going on with work. It's really hectic. Uh, it's been hectic these last couple of weeks because I, I work in the service industry and it's the middle of the summer and it's just a disaster. But we're going to have that voted on. That should be voted on. We're, they're talking about Tuesday morning, Tuesday night. We're not exactly sure. And then you're going to have Senate also, and they don't really know about um, they don't know about this budget bill, this three point five trillion because. Uh, the lower chamber is in the House of Representatives. They're on recess till September. And they have no votes scheduled until the third week of September. So the Senate has just started fi filling in the details on the budget reconciliation package, which is the $3.5 trillion. Uh, and the House may wait till September to start work on the budget. And that was uh, Punchbowl News' uh, morning newsletter said that. Which is, I mean, if they get this passed, the budget reconciliation... 3.5 trillion. I mean, the infrastructure is already bad. I mean, this is just, it's just cherry on the, uh, on the Sunday at this point. I mean, it's icing on the cake. It's, it's, it's just a total disaster. I mean, we have this, we're pushing ourselves further and further towards authoritarianism right now in this country and a bunch of social safety net programs that are going to get us further and further down the rabbit hole of, uh, socialism and eventually communism with the authoritarianism that's involved as well. And infrastructure, what I said, it is a payout to blue states. This is a very interesting story I have here, Breitbart News, a uh, piece written by John Binder. It's going to talk about how it's designed, the system design is designed to incentivize uh, this, this new infrastructure plan. It incentivizes states that have accepted illegal immigrants and they get payouts because of it. So it was slipped into the legislation are provisions allocating federal funding based on the number of newly arrived immigrants in a state or region. A design that rewards blue states who tend to have the largest foreign-born populations in the nation as the legislation states, the, uh, the Department of Commerce would set up a grant program to states to fund broadband expansion. The formula used for those grants is as follows. So this is the interesting part about this. This is really funny. I was talking about broadband setup. 
and it's going to it's going to be determined by how many illegal immigrants you have in your state or your jurisdiction. 50% of total grant amount shall be based on the population of the eligible state in proportion to the total population of all eligible states. 25% of the total grant amount shall be based on the number of individuals in the eligible state who are members of covered populations in proportion to the total number of individuals in all eligible states who are members of covered populations. So so what are you asking when you say, what the heck is covered populations? What does that mean? Um, I'm going to explain it to you now. The provision indicates blue states who help drive up immigration levels to the U.S., with generous public benefits, sanctuary policies, and concentrations of wealth with large income inequalities are set to benefit immensely from the legislation included in the bill. California, for example, would be the primary winner of the legislation with a foreign-born population at about 24%, the highest in the nation behind California is Texas with the foreign-born population of nearly 11%. Florida with a foreign-born population of 9.8% and New York with a foreign-born population of 10%. So the top the top 10 counties are all Democrat. You got Los Angeles, uh, Miami-Dade County, Harris County, Texas, Cook County, Illinois, Queens County, New York, San Diego County, California, and Santa Clara County, California. So these are the ones that are going to be the first in line to expand the broadband. And what they're saying is this this specific, uh, what are they calling it specifically, the name of the um, population, the covered populations. And you say, who exactly are the covered populations? Those that are considered part of the the covered populations, and this is this is depending on how large the group is, Newly arrived immigrants to the U.S. who speak little to no English. Uh, the legislation defines these newly arrived immigrants as individuals with a language barrier, including individuals who are English learners and have low levels of literacy. Other groups of covered population includes veterans, disabled Americans, non-white Americans, rural Americans, and incarcerated Americans. So, so this is really... Just the Democrat, what would you call it, the woke, the wokeism uh, bill, just to hand money over to these groups that you know the left wing uh, grovels to to get to get more votes. So you have Republicans supporting the infrastructure bill. Uh, Tucker Carlson talks about it very briefly on his show, Play Clip Two. They assume you're not paying attention, so they can do whatever they want to you, and in this case, they are. Here are the 17 Republicans who have already voted to move this bill forward, listed in alphabetical order. Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Kevin Kramer, Mike Crapo, Lindsey Graham, of course, Chuck Grassley, John Hoven, Mitch McConnell, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, Jim Risch, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, and Todd Young. Now, a few of these people plan to retire soon, thank heaven, but most of them intend to get reelected at some point. You notice, folks, how I said, <laughs> how I said last show, most Republicans are pretty much Democrats uh, or the establishment members. Just notice the names. You have Chuck Grassley been in the been in the Senate. I think he was the uh, the Senate majority. Oh no, no, not Chuck Grassley, but rather, I don't know what he was the head of. He was the head of something. You have Lindsey Graham. You do have Chuck Grassley, but I don't remember exactly what his job was during the Trump administration. And then you have Senator McConnell. It's just amazing. So you have 17 GOP senators. I think he said either 17 or 18 that approve of the, of this spending. This is supposed to be the party that's all about, you know, we keep the spending low. We're supposed to be about the individual. We're supposed to be about this. They don't represent their voters. They don't represent the conservative base that votes for the Republicans, unfortunately, because there's no there's no better candidates to vote for. because uh, we have this two party system. We we are not represented by these people that want to spend money out the ass. That's not that's not what the conservative base wants. Uh, but but they vote for it. Why do they vote for it? And, and then they kind of change the narrative to everyone's worried about COVID, 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 COVID all the time to the point where they're going to ram through this bill and no one's even going to know what's in it. No one knows what's going on with it. You know, as I just said, you had you had these these states that are incentivized to take on illegal immigrants because they're going to get more money out of this bill. 
And 20%, I just got this new report, and it's a, uh, it was a leaked report that was sent to the president's office. 20% of migrant children released from Customs Border Protection custody, they have been declared uh, positive for COVID. So once again, like I was saying before, is you have this special system set up. And uh, Tucker said it very recently on his show. You have a special system set up for, it's like there's special inherent rights given to people that are not citizens of the country. And then people that are citizens of the country get screwed on this deal. They always have been. Uh, we've been getting consistently screwed, especially by this administration. But American citizens, for the most part, uh, have taken the back seat. Uh, for other for other groups for for illegal aliens for even other countries with some of these world government UN conferences that we have the Paris Climate Agreement uh, just look at COVID what we did what we did to our country how we just decimated our our government officials decimated the economy decimated us our our wealth our value uh, and they continue to do so without caring it seems like. So, like I said, I wanted to kind of get into some of this cryptocurrency and the infrastructure plan. First off, I wanted to talk about the SEC chairman, so the Security Exchange Commission uh, chairman, Gary Gensler. He was talking about regulatory, uh, regulating crypto, essentially, the other day. This is a New York Post piece that I have. It's written by Charles Gasparino. Uh, and he, he asks the question, because you have... To begin with, this Gary Gensler guy was saying he's going to, he was talking about delisting certain coins from exchanges. He's talking about how he's going to make them securities uh, because of specific SEC rules. And then this guy, Charles Gasparino, comes out and he's like, you don't even have the power to do that. That's the legislative authority if they wanted to do that. And you also have to prove that it's a a security and crypto kind of right now is is the the argument is especially for bitcoin and as in regards to bitcoin especially is it is a transfer of value it is an exchange or or rather a network uh, to exchange value back and forth like as if i had a venmo and i wanted to send a venmo to i want to send the money in dollars somewhere else this is the same thing except they're just using bitcoin as the uh, currency so to call that a security is incorrect. It does not fit the description of what a security is, and he doesn't have the power additionally to even do that. So uh, Charles Gasparino writes, who gets to regulate what does on what goes on inside the blockchain and the broader crypto world is still a matter of debate. Securities lawyers tell me. Uh, certainly, the CFTC, the CFTC stands for the Commodity Futures uh, Trading Commission, and, and that would actually be much more of their jurisdiction, considered they, they call Bitcoin a commodity. Um, they have some... They have some say because cryptos are more closely aligned with commodities than they are with, say, stocks or bonds. Maybe the Treasury Department, since the blockchain is an alternative to the banking system and cryptos compete with dollar-based transactions. But securities lawyers told me the Uber regulator for crypto certainly isn't the SEC, which can only regulate so-called securities, a stock or a bond or some type of financial instrument that resembles either. It doesn't matter that cryptos can be traded like a stock. Baseball cards can be traded like a stock. Stocks and bonds represent an underlying investment. For example, a company's profits or losses. In most cases, cryptos like baseball cards don't which is why you never see the SEC bringing cases when kids or anyone else rip people off when they trade baseball cards back and forth. That's actually a really, good, a really solid uh, foundation that he lays out there. A stock is supposed to represent the value of a company behind it, uh, whereas crypto doesn't really do that, especially if you're going to talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin, there's no one behind Bitcoin. Bitcoin is so decentralized of a system, it's just a network uh, to exchange value back and forth throughout that network. And it's supposed to be used as an alternative to the to the original banking system, and they call it a permissionless pernish, permissionless uh, protocol. So when you go to send money on Venmo from one person to another, there's a third party involved to make sure that the transaction goes through, that there's not a double charge. That is the bank. In this case, it would be Venmo or PayPal owns Venmo. That is the uh, entity that they provide the liquidity, they provide the money in the background to lend out, give from one person to another, right? Now, in this system with Bitcoin, there's no need for that. As soon as you hit the transaction, 
when the transaction goes through, that money is there and it, it's ready for use. You don't need, there's no third party that's getting their hands in there. No one's getting involved. Nothing's getting double charged because there's nodes that are validating each transaction. It's all coded uh, to work perfectly and that's how it goes. So it's kind of hard to say this is a uh, security because there's nothing behind it. It's not representing some sort of business. It's just a network where people exchange value back and forth. And, and it would be much more under the jurisdiction of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission if, if they were going to do anything about it. So as SEC Chair, uh, Gary Ginsler, as SEC Chair Ginsler, he, he can't just deem digital currencies a security and let the games be. He's just not allowed to do that. The SEC under Jay Clayton did just that when it, bought, it brought a case against a company called Ripple Labs, which is also known as XRP. Uh, that's another crypto for issuing digital currency that the commission claimed were unregistered securities. The securities lawyer that he talked to here, he said, no, there are 75 years of case law to prevent that. Now, the Ripple case is hardly a slam dunk with the courts still weighing whether the SEC overstepped its uh, jurisdiction and filing the lawsuit in an area of commerce possibly better regulated by Gensler's old shop in which he worked at the CFTC. Now, smart and sleazy financial types have and will cobble together fraudulent crypto derivatives to create an investment product that could fall within the SEC's purview. So I'm sure Gensler will find some way to bring up some cases. I think he's right about that. It just depends because each people like to lump everything in with, as they call it, crypto. Uh, but when you have Bitcoin, it's so decentralized that it's not even it's not even really related to anything else that's in that category. Um, nevertheless, his big, broad crackdown on the wild west of crypto trading will probably have to wait for an act of Congress to give him powers that exceed current law, which he said he is seeking as well. So yes, the SEC chair kept talking about how they need more money so they can regulate more things. And the only reason I want to regulate all this, and this is why I'm kind of getting to, I, I need to give that foundation in the background here for this reason. Next, we're going to get to how there's cryptocurrency, uh, code in that's written or or rather policy that's written into this infrastructure bill and the reason they need this is they realize the infrastructure bill is 1.2 trillion dollars and i went over it last show the cbo the congressional budget office is confirming now that this is going to cost in the long run 256 billion dollars that are going to be unanswered to and that's if joe all of joe biden's you know what he says comes true with these 2 million jobs a year. It's just not going to happen realistically. But we're saying the, the CBO is saying we're going to lose $256 billion that we have no answer how we're going to fund this, how we're going to pay for this. So what the, do, the politicians do is they get together and they go, well, you know what we'll do? We'll just crack down our cryptocurrency and we'll hit it with a hardcore taxation and we'll try to regulate the hell out of it so we can collect more money. So this, this piece is cryptocurrency isn't infrastructure. It's actually a CNN article. It's written by uh, Lauren Desenzik or Desensky, a last-minute cryptocurrency tax provision was tacked on to the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill last week, which complicated infrastructure negotiations as a bitter dispute emerged over proposed tax reporting requirements for cryptocurrency transactions. So yes, what they're going to do is they're going to make some of these cryptocurrency uh, exchanges, the centralized ones, do 1099s, which is kind of uh, relative, it's, it's very similar to when you use Charles Schwab or Fidelity and you buy and sell on your investment account. It also prom prompted a sharp public outcry over the item's initial language. On Monday, uh, Senator Toomey and Senator Loomis announced an amendment to the provision negotiated with the Treasury Department focused on regulating digital assets by requiring brokers to report their transactions. The negotiating group also included Senators uh, Rob Portman and Democrats Mark Warner and Kristen Cinema, American investors already are showing uh, increasing interest in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Oh, you know what? I'll get to that later. But yeah, so so we have all these all these members in the in the Senate getting together, trying to figure out, try to put amendments to this bill. I've been hearing a lot of news about it. Um, I'm kind of on I'm on Twitter. There's a bunch of Bitcoiners on there that talk about it. It's kind of confusing. It's all over the place. It's hard to find any information on this stuff. Uh, it seems like what they're going to do is they're going to try to make people report all of their crypto transactions. They're going to make the companies do it. They're going to regulate the companies. 
And what this means is that there's a couple of positives and negatives that could come from this. Positives meaning you get a big industry come in and say, oh, well, it's regulated, so we can put, put Bitcoin on our balance sheet uh, for that reason. Now things are regulated. There's a framework for us to go forward and buy and sell, and we're not going to have any issues in the future. Or, which would be more adoption by uh, big money, by institutions, or what could happen is this now sets a precedent that the United States government has the power to regulate things as they see fit in terms of the cryptocurrency, uh, the ch cryptocurrency, I guess, division or, or the cryptocurrency uh, sector of the economy. They now have the power, they have the set, set the precedent that they can do whatever they want. Th those are the kind of the two problems that we're hitting now right now that I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. It also could play out in another negative way where people look at it and they go, wow, look at that cryptocurrency had to be regulated by the government because it's such a the wild west. It's so crazy. There's such a negative connotation uh, to follow it that it needs to be regulated. So it's going to may scare people out of buying it for that reason. In terms of retail investors and small investors like people like myself, they will just continue to buy. It doesn't really make a difference. But when it comes to some of these bigger institutions, I could see this kind of maybe being a good thing with some of this regulatory stuff. But at the same time, I'm never a fan of uh, regulation because usually it thwarts the ability to, uh, to innovate in the economy. So American investors, like I said, they're showing increased interest in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin among adults with $10,000 or more invested in stocks, bonds, or mutual funds, either within or outside retirement funds. So pretty much, I would say almost anybody. So if you have $10,000 in stocks, if you're an adult, you have $10,000 in either stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, retirement funds, what have you, 6% say that they own Bitcoin. And this is probably, this is in the United States. According to the same recent Gallup poll, that's up from just 2% who said they own Bitcoin in uh, May of 2018. So we're looking at a three-time increase over the last uh, two years, or three years rather. The uh, the number climbs even higher to 13% for investors that are under 50, to 50 years old, which, which is a really good thing. So the younger generations are adopting Bitcoin because they see how screwed up the current financial system is, how the dollar has been inflated by the U.S. government printing more and more money, spending money on a $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan, and then a $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that's really just a, a wet dream for socialists. And they're saying Gallup likens current Bitcoin ownership levels to gold, which 11% of investors say that they own gold. So yeah, it's actually a pretty similar number. Now, in terms of people that own gold, there's more market capital in the in the world for gold than there is for Bitcoin because people don't own a lot of Bitcoin. It's a small amount uh, generally. So I have Mike Lee speaking briefly about this, the part of this bill in the infrastructure talking about cryptocurrency and how it's a problem for the cryptocurrency uh, industry, play clip six. It's also concerning that one of the other pay for provisions, the one focused on cryptocurrency, focuses on an industry that's rapidly developing, rapidly developing within the United States, that depends on a lot of innovation happening in the United States. One of these pay-for provisions seeks to bring in more revenue to the federal government, or at least to promise more revenue to the federal government, with the promise of requiring those who spy and sell cryptocurrency to treat it the same way as they would the exchange of securities. Mr. President, this is very different than securities. These aren't just stocks. It's something very different. It's a medium of exchange. It, if adopted more widely, could facilitate a lot of economic activity and a lot of innovation within the United States of America. If, in fact, we pass this bill, mark my words, it's going to have a chilling effect on innovation within this sector. I think the U.S., for reasons of competition, are better off not regulating uh, the cryptocurrency sector, considering how popular it is worldwide. If we see adoption in, in some of these smaller countries, some of these, especially like a, a country like China or Russia, some of our adversaries, if there is some sort of adoption in those in those countries, then we are in deep shit. Uh, so I think that would actually be better off if the U.S. just didn't regulate it, didn't go heavy on with the regulation. 
in a general sense, people, for the most part, are going to avoid regulation. Uh, there's certain people that are deep into crypto or Bitcoin. They're going to find ways to avoid the regulation because this is all stuff that's on the Internet. This isn't like um, ta as tangible uh, as other things. For that reason, it's much easier. There's there's way to circumvent all of these processes that they're going to try to lay out. So I have this uh, this other poll here. I have this more information. Unemployment has sl slid uh, to 5.4% in July, so it's a good thing. CNBC article written by Jeff Cox. Hiring rose in July at its fastest pace in nearly a year despite fears over COVID-19's Delta variant. And as companies struggled with a tight labor supply, the Labor Department reported Friday. So you have non-farm non jobs increased by 943,000. Unemployment dropped to 5.4% which is a good thing because uh, it was not the prediction. The prediction by economists surveyed at uh, Dow Jones, they were saying it was going to be 845,000 new jobs and a headline unemployment rate of 5.7%. So actually you saw more jobs, less unemployment, which is a good thing. I think what's happening is people are going to start realizing because there's a lot of jobs out there right now. And I had this uh, other article by, um, I think it's a Fox. It was a CNBC, another CNBC article. Actually, it's 10 million jobs. They reevaluated it. It's actually way more than we thought. It, they, he, they're saying in this article nine nine million, but there's actually another million that are available right now. So there's available jobs, and I think for the most part, the reason why there's so many available jobs is because the economy's continuing to spur, it's continuing to move. A lot of people are staying at home right now because they're happy getting their unemployment payments by the government. Which in this next article I have from Fox Business, unemployment benefits are going to be cut off are going to cut off for 7.5 million workers as and that's actually what the uh, the title says 7.5 million workers to me it's like 7.5 million people are not working it should, it should be called nine workers uh, so you have 10 million jobs that are open you have 7.5 million people that are sitting on the government payroll doing nothing every day so there's a increased demand for those people to come back for, to the workforce it seems like some of them are starting to because they know right now that we're having a um, we're gonna have like a a supply shortage of workers, which is, is crazy to think. This article is written by Megan Henney. A new report published by the left-leaning Century Foundation found that 7.5 million workers face, to, face the loss of jobless aid on September 6th, Labor Day, the official cutoff date for three relief programs that were first created in March 2020 and renewed twice by Congress as the virus forced an unprecedented shutdown of the nation's economy, pushing unemployment to the highest level since the Great Depression. So yes, you're seeing you're seeing unemployment uh, starting to drop, and it's because there's all these jobs available, and now people are going to lose their jobless aid, as in their you know their paychecks from the government uh, September 6th, and in addition, and, and the reason why this is such a great phenomenon, you go, well, well welfare has always been around. Welfare has been around for a long time, right? Why this is such a big phenomenon, why it's so bad right now, is because it's compounding with the idea of COVID that people are so afraid of. But it's also really compounding with the extra money that they're getting additionally, comparatively to just regular welfare uh, checks. So in addition to providing workers with, or rather unemployment checks, I'm sorry. In addition to providing workers with an extra $300 a week on top of their regular state benefits, the programs offered aid to workers who were not typically eligible and extended state unemployment uh, benefits once they had been exhausted. So yes, yeah, some states decided to fund the program extra. Some states said, we're going to take people off of the program in our state. We're not going to pay an extra $300. Uh, now, now, state in New Jersey, I believe we pay an extra 300 or we pay 200 We're paying extra. I know that for sure. So as the economy reopens, companies have complained about a lack of availability of workers. There are, some, there are still some 5.5 million unemployed Americans, despite the staggering 9.2 million open jobs. Actually, it's 10 million, like I said before. Already 23 states, all of which but one... <laughs> of them is read by is led by a uh, Republican governor. So you have 23 states right now in the union. They all ended their unemployment programs, a move that was intended to help businesses that are struggling to hire workers. Um, Arkansas, Indiana, and Maryland were ordered by state judges to reinstate the relief programs, which is ridiculous. I don't know how a state judge has the power to say that you need to confiscate wealth from one person and give it to another. That's just not the government's power. That's not that's not what their job is. It's especially not what the judiciary's job is. 
but you had 23 different states that went against giving their um, giving their citizens extra money on top of the federal aid. And of these 23 states, all of them were led by Republicans as the governor, except for one of them. And I think the one that wasn't was maybe Alaska. I have a feeling Alaska, I think, has like a Democrat governor. I think I may be wrong about that. So the average, and to, and to average out how much money is being given to these unemployed people that are applying for these programs, the average state unemployment benefit is about $330 per week. With the federal supplement, Americans are receiving about $630 in weekly unemployment benefits. To compare this, that's about $32,000 annually, or roughly double the nation's minimum wage. So if you're making, especially if you live in, you know, a state where it's pretty cheap to live and you're making $32,000 a year and you don't have to work at all, why wouldn't you? If, if you're making $32,000 a year and you have a friend that's an electrician or a plumber or works in a blue collar industry and they say, hey man, I'm willing to pay you under the table 15 bucks an hour. And then on top of that, you can get whatever your unemployment benefit is, which is $32,000 a year. It's like making two, it's like having two jobs without having to work both, you know, both jobs. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable that, that people want to extend this. I mean, we, we've seen an extension of the eviction moratorium, a, a uh, extension as well, paying off student loan debt. And now what we're going to see, uh, we're going to see the legislative branch, I think, try to work something out. They're going to talk about extending this even further, which was just mind blown, continue to print more and more money. Uh, dig us deeper and deeper down this hole that eventually our children are going to have to dig us out of. So I have a couple of uh, quick topics here. I have France government, France's government uh, checking COVID cards. This is amazing. This is astounding, folks. If you are not listening, if you're just listening, then you can watch on Rumble. I don't know how far I'm going to be in. I'm trying to do the math here to figure out how far... I should be about 40, 48 minutes into the show. Uh, play clip five. So those of you that are just listening, to get a visual, I'll, I'll try to illustrate it the best way I can. You have people sitting down at restaurants eating outside, and you have police armed walking around asking people to see their papers. And this is real. This is happening. I believe it's France that this is happening in. there, And people are pulling up their phone. Maybe they have their COVID card or whatever it is, their vaccination verification on their phone, or maybe they have it on their person. But this, this goes back to... Uh, this goes back to like the Nazi party in Germany. I mean, this is this is freaking unbelievable. This this draconian stuff that's going on, and that no one has a problem with it. It dis it disgusts me to my core. Some of this vaccine stuff. I I really, I mean, I have debates with people from my family about this, and I had a debate the other day, and, and the day, debate was, I said, okay, so obviously the argument is. Uh, whether you think the vaccine works or not, let's say let's say it works uh, for sake of argument, right? If it works, then why is it that everybody else needs to get a vaccination, right? If it doesn't work, let's say it, it or it works, you know, halfway, let's say, then the reason obviously to get the vaccination is to cut down on transmissibility of rates, right? So let's say it works 95% of the time, you got a 5% chance of somehow getting it, and then you could pass it on. But apparently, it's not going to be as powerful when you get it because of the vaccine. So you can still transmit it, the transmissibility you're going to have, but it's not going to be as uh, robust of a virus that you that you transfer, right? Here's what the core of this argument is. Okay, then, that sounds good. So would you argue that people that have comorbidities, obese people, do they have a better chance of transmitting the virus because it's going to be a stronger viral load because they're out of shape and they're, they have a compromised immune system? And this is factually true. In the, I mean, you can look at the data that proves this. You're, you're much more likely to get sick and be more transmissible when you are obese. This, general, this works for every influenza. This works for all viruses. This works for all uh, co the, cold, the common cold, right? So that all being said... 
should the government, if they're going to mandate vaccines, shouldn't the government also mandate a workout regimen as well as a dietary restriction that you what you can and can't eat? And then and then weekly you have to weigh yourself and report it to the government or, or you have to have, you know, the Gestapo come to your house and put you on a scale and weigh you as well. Is this, is this how far this is going to go? Because really, you can draw that comparison and it's a very reasonable comparison to draw. If the government's going to mandate vaccines for transmissibility rate reasons, then why is it that they are not also mandating mandatory uh, diets as well as workout regimens as well? Why not? Ask your liberal friends why not and see what their answer is going to be. It, to me, it makes it makes no sense. Um, this this whole, and, and what people will say is, and this is the best part when, especially, and, and here's another way to combat some, some crap from liberals. They'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I don't think there should be mandatory vaccines, but... Instantly, when they say, I don't think there should be mandatory vaccines, but that means that they, they're identifying that this is a moral issue, a moral decision, and they're saying, well, my morality, I think, is the right way to go. My, I have better ethics than you. My ethical code is better, or, or it's different than yours, and I think that I should be able to push that ethical code and value onto you, and now you have to act as I say, but I don't think the government should regulate it. So if, if they start off with, I don't think the government should make mandatory vaccinations, then really the conversation's over. Because you could say that about anything. That's like me saying, well, I don't think that you should have to eat a, a hamburger with ketchup. But, but okay, sounds good, dude. Like everything you say after that to me is meaningless. It doesn't matter because you don't think that I should have to mandatorily eat a, a hamburger with ketchup. So I'm going to put whatever I want in the hamburger. It doesn't matter now at this point. So when they say that, they're essentially just saying... Uh, my moral code is this, and you should follow it because I say so. There's there's nothing else to really validate it. There's no constitution. This is just all opinionated. And when they talk about mandatory vaccines, what you do is you attack them the way that I just did with the um, with the diets, with diets and, and workout regimens. That those are the two that I've yet to find a good answer for uh, at this point. So. Next, I have Rand Paul talking about how the time of mass compliance right now, it, it is, it is now. It is this time. Uh, play clip seven. It's time for us to resist. They can't arrest all of us. They can't keep all of your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed, although I've got a long list of ones they might keep closed or might ought to keep closed. We don't have to accept the mandates lockdowns and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats we can simply say no not again nancy pelosi you will not arrest or stop me or anyone on my staff from doing our jobs we have either had covid had the vaccine or been offered the vaccine we will make our own health choices we will not show you a passport we will not wear a mask. We will not be forced into random screenings and testings so you can continue your drunk with power reign over the Capitol. President Biden, we will not accept your agency's mandates or your reported moves towards a lockdown. No one should follow the CDC's anti-science mask mandates. And if you want to shut down federal agencies again, some of which aren't even back to work yet, I will stop every bill coming through the Senate with an amendment to cut their funding if they don't come back to work in person. So yes, the, this one goes on for about two and a half minutes. I, I cut it a little bit short. Everything that he's saying is 100% on point. Rand Paul has been at the uh, the helm of this the entire time. He's been very solid. Rand Paul is a, is technically a libertarian, but he's very conservatively. Like I would say if I identified with anybody politician-wise, it would probably be a guy like Rand Paul. Um yeah, he's right. I mean, he's, he's, he's entirely right. The time for mask compliance with this stuff is now. If you start seeing mask restrictions, whatever, you walk around, you walk in without a mask on, they ask you to put the mask on, then I guess you got to put it on. But you make it normal. You you make it known that you don't want to wear a mask and, and you're not going to conform with this and you don't think it's a good idea. Because then once somebody sees that you're doing that, maybe they'll feel confident themselves in doing the same thing. It's just... And, and it's like Dan Bongino actually says it all the time. It's not that first guy that goes up when you're at a party and they're playing music and no one's dancing. It's not the first guy that goes up to dance. It's actually the second guy because the first guy goes out there, he's dancing, he's doing his little thing, he's grooving. He makes a fool out of himself. And then the other guy kind of jumps on because he sees, oh, look, this guy's doing it. It's okay now. I'll come on. And then everybody else, uh, everybody else joins in. But 
Yeah, there needs to definitely be a uh, a mass compliance from the people, uh, non-compliance from the people going forward. So this coverage of Obama's birthday party, I just want to, I have someone from CNN, Annie Carney, she's talking to Jim Acosta about it, and um, it's his 60th birthday party, he actually had to kind of change the rules around a little bit because he had too many people going, and it just looked very elitist of him. So they're going to kind of go through all the criticisms of, of the right wing and how it wasn't a big deal because everybody there was vaccinated and how they're pretty much elitist smug assholes. So uh, play clip three. Um, other people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. And, and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. All right, Andy Carney, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, good talking. So this is the smug arrogance. This is representative of the smug, arrogant liberals that are out there. This is a sophisticated, vaccinated crowd, as as she says, meaning since they're vaccinated, that infers that they're smart, they're sophisticated, as in everybody that isn't vaccinated is an idiot, you're a moron, you're an imbecile, and always you can make excuses for, uh, you know, for the establishment, of course you can for President Barack Obama, former President Obama. Everybody loves Obama in the Democrat Party because he's part of the reason why he was the, really the catalyst or the, rather, rather the Trojan horse for a lot of this socialist rhetoric, a lot of this socialist implementation of uh, policies. So I didn't get to get to this ACLU uh, claiming that the Second Amendment is racist case. It's written by Hannah Cox and Olivia Rondu, I think her name is. It's a very interesting piece. It kind of talks about... Uh, it talks about how Harriet Tubman used to carry a firearm on her, how, how really the Second Amendment isn't racist in itself, but rather because the ACLU claims this, obviously, that it was used to suppress uh, black Americans. That's just not the case. The case is actually the stripping of the Second Amendment was used to suppress black Americans. There's been different rules, different codes in the 1870s, the 1860s, after uh, slavery was abolished. That made it illegal for black Americans to own guns, and it was usually, it was, I think the one place was South Carolina, then the other place was, uh, I know it was the South somewhere, I don't want to say it was Georgia, but um, yes, so there's there's all these stories, they took a, go through the Black Panthers a little bit, how, how guns were illegal in California, they made carrying illegal in California strictly because of the Black Panthers, uh, there was also, and, and you know what, I mean, when it comes to the Black Panthers, they're kind of like communists, so to an extent... To an extent, I think, because part of the reason was they were commies, they were really like an extremist group. I would, I would, you know, I would argue they were a terrorist group. That one isn't as egregious as the as the stripping of weapons of these. Uh, I'm trying to find the the specific scenario, but it was very interesting. You had these guys called, and it's pretty badass to me, the Deacons for Defense and Justice. They were formed in 1965 to fight against white supremacist terrorism in uh, Louisiana and Mississippi with 38 special revolvers. It's just super badass to me when I read it. And they pretty much, they defended uh, MLK because they were around for a long time. They defended MLK um, in the Meredith March Against Fear, and they pretty much deterred the KKK from coming in and attacking the black community. It's just a dope-ass name. The Deacons for Defense and Justice. I want to say that it would... It's probably based on some sort of um, religious group, I would imagine, which is pretty cool, I'd say. But Okay, so let's get to some of these quick headlines as well. I unfortunately can't go that deep into that one. If you guys want to read it, it was a really long piece. I thought it was pretty cool, just historically. Uh, Florida's governor... Florida governor's office to withhold salaries of officials who enact mask mandates, which I love. Uh, any Any state official that decides to enact some sort of mask mandate in their office, they will be, they're going to have their uh, salaries withheld. And that's from coming from Ron DeSantis, uh, defense secretary mandating vaccine September 15th. This is a, so the military is actually mandating their people get vaccines by September, September 15th. I'm very interested to see the pushback that, that transpires from that. I think it's very scary. Uh, it's a slippery slope. Uh, Apple is spying on you. This is a new story about how Apple is going to be using some sort of weird algorithm slash software program to figure out if you have um, child pornography on your phone. 
And not only child pornography, but if you're sending something that's like a racy photo to somebody else, they will all additionally let you know that you're doing so. And if you want to confirm it, I think it's I think it is a complete invasion of privacy. Because what you're going to have is you're going to have Apple obviously taking advantage of this. And, and they say, hey, we're only going to vet phones of like sex predators or we're going to vet phones of this or that. And they're just lying. They're going to vet all phones. They're going to be watching everybody's activity through this program. It's really just a spy system. That's what it seems like to me. If you want, you can read that article. I'm going to have everything, as always, in the description below under the tab show notes. So that'll really conclude this one, folks. I greatly appreciate you all tuning in. As always, please like, share, subscribe, uh, drop the mic, let people know my name is Mike, let people know about the podcast. So I greatly appreciate it, folks, and I will see you all later this week. Thank you.